Last but not least, the fifth most listened to episode this year was with back then Ellie Greeny before she got married. Congratulations, Ellie, who is now Ellie Nettleton. And uh, yeah, if you want to learn around uh, from someone that's gone from just being really green and really maximizing the opportunity that she's had at Transition Partners where she's climbed the ranks, she's now MD, and we really spoke a lot around transitioning into leadership, becoming a better leader, but also what Ellie's done a fantastic job of is build her brand. They've launched events, they've launched podcasts, they've launched communities. So for any of you that are really interested in how you can build communities next year in 2022, you will love this episode. The fifth most listened to episode this year with Ellie Nettleton. Enjoy it. And the final one from me. Have a fantastic Christmas. At Recruitment Mentors, we're on a mission to help as many recruitment consultants as possible to progress their career without limits. If you possess the hunger and drive to want to be the best recruiter you can be, this community is for you. Gain immediate access to some of the best recruitment professionals outside of your four walls that you can learn from to help level up your performance whilst also connecting you with like-minded recruitment consultants focused on growth. We're pleased to announce that we're opening up our doors to the rest of the recruitment industry on the 1st of February. Join our waiting list now at www.recruitmentmentors.com. That's www.recruitmentmentors.com to make sure you don't miss out on the community opening. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes. And now back to the episode. My name is Hish Mazuz, and welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. For the last two and a half years, I have been obsessed with finding out what some of the most successful recruitment professionals and businesses around the world do differently. Having already sat down with over 200 recruiters across the globe, what's clear is every hugely successful recruiter has had help getting there. And on this podcast, it's my job to deconstruct how they have accelerated their recruitment career and remained at the top of their game by uncovering their daily habits, mindset, approach to leadership, and much, much more. Welcome back to another Recruitment Mentors podcast. If you're new here, thank you for joining me. And if you listen to this podcast week in, week out, make sure you have hit subscribe so you don't miss another episode. This week, if you're a recruitment professional that aspires to be a director, you're going to love this episode. If you're a recruitment professional that wants to know how you can successfully build your brand in today's market, successfully launch podcasts, successfully launch events for your industry, and actually utilize these activities to win business, you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I'm joined by Ellie Greeny, and I'm really excited for you all to listen. But enough from me. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm uh, very excited to finally be joined by Ellie Greeny, who is the Managing Director of Transition Partners, who are a tech recruitment consultancy based in Leeds, covering the UK and Europe. Ellie has progressed from a trainee recruitment consultant all the way up to director level within this company in just six years. Ellie is currently responsible for a team of four people um, and has really played a crucial role in helping transition partners become seen as a go-to technology recruitment partner in the north of England. Ellie, thank you for joining me. Hello. I feel like I'm so excited to finally be here. <laughs> I know, we've been speaking a while, haven't we? So, um, I feel like I'm my pen pal, like we've been speaking long distance for ages. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Excited to dig into uh, your, your journey. So, yeah. as I was saying, where I want to start is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Oh, God, this is such a tricky question. And I feel like when I interview 
potential recruitment consultants or transition partners that is something that I think about all the time. What makes an ideal recruiter and what should I be looking for? There isn't really one answer. There's so many things like resilience, positivity, grit, gravitas. There's so many different cocktails that make up a good recruiter, I think. Um, But for me, there's that special little spark that you can find in someone that's able to create a community, create a network and build connections. So maybe the sort of person, you know, who can, who on a Tuesday night when no one wants to go to the pub or go out for a bit of a party and everyone says no at first, but they're the sort of person that can create a hype, get everyone involved, get everyone on board. And before you know it, you're having a great night out. So like someone who can create something really special, create meaningful relationships and get everyone heading towards one vision. And I think that's something really special that that recruiters have got. And I think successful recruiters definitely have that skill. Interesting. Do you think that's something that you had at the beginning or do you think it's something that can yeah, be taught? I can always get everyone a night out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that I've always been able to do quite successfully about like bringing people together and creating a bit of a vision. And I think, yeah, that's definitely played a key part in, in my success, particularly at Transition Partners over the past six years. But do, do you think that can be taught? Oh, good question. Mm. Oh, 50-50, like maybe a little bit. You can like learn and you can watch other people do it and see. I mean, like I like I really feel like my job, recruitment isn't just recruitment. There's so many different aspects that people don't and 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 I guess it's the different aspects that make a really good consultant. So bringing networks together, communities together, training, supporting, advising um so many different aspects in that and and as you get more and more experience you're able to to use those different skills and utilize them on a daily basis but I think some of it's intrinsic like you've got to be a people person so many people are going to recruitment I mean I've been at one when you've been part of big PSL and you go to an agency briefing and there's like six other recruiters in the room thinking geez like they, they want to work with people there's some people you think oh they're not natural people people like it's it's quite hard sometimes and you think god how did they get into recruitment but I think you've got to love people you've got to love what you do you want to help people advance and progress their career as well like from from an agent my perspective I don't just want to be placing people in vacancies that's like the obvious step I want to help them achieve the next step and take a big jump in their career. So that's what I love doing in recruitment. And um, yeah, I think hopefully if you've got that little spark, it can certainly help. Okay. Interesting. So <laughs> when preparing for this, I think you're, you, you've accelerated your career quite quickly for on, on the face of it. It looks like that, right? So, so I'm really excited like that. It feels like a lot, of, a lot of early mornings and a lot of late nights, but yeah, I guess so. I guess in comparison to yeah, because I was saying before, a real a real common goal whenever I've sort of um, searched for what people's ultimate career goal is for their recruitment career, a lot of people sort of uh, lean towards wanting to sort of head up their own team and grow their own team, or it's sort of achieving that director status within their agency. So mm-hmm. why don't we start? But like, how how would you describe your first year in recruitment, Ellie? Awful, like the worst horrible year I probably ever had. It was really? tough. Like it was, you cannot underestimate like how tough that first year is. And I mean, my background—I'd never worked in an office before, so I was a little bit like a caged animal. Like my—I don't know whether you want to go into background and kind of. Before that, I worked in in the beauty industry and I worked in sales and I travelled all over the world. I met my chap in in, in Australia and he's from Leeds originally, so moved moved over here. And I was um, running a champagne nail bar in Harvey Nichols in in Leeds. So I was selling nail polish. Yeah, like I was selling. I loved it. I was I had loads of vouchers for nail um for Harvey Nichols which is amazing because I had a really good handbag collection but I didn't have any money for a mortgage so I thought oh, do you know what I've got to do something different and a load of my clients were recruiters and they were like females oh. doing really well yeah and it was so cool to see like these women come in and they were sat there drinking champagne having their nails done and I used to have a really good laugh with them and they all said do you know what you should get into recruitment so I started at the very bottom. I interviewed with a few different agencies in um, in Leeds and through a rec to rec. And I had no idea what I was doing to be honest. I didn't even, I actually thought the rec to rec was offering me a job at first. <laughs> yeah, that's so common. I didn't know, I just didn't understand what, what he was even doing. So it was, yeah, quite, 
quite unusual circumstances, interviewed for a load of companies, I ended up getting quite a few offers, which was fantastic. And I went into recruitment at 24. So for me, it was like make or break. This isn't just an opportunity to give something a go. It's either going to work or it's not. And if it doesn't work, I'll be a bit of a failure. So my first year, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And Sandra put a lot of pressure on me, which I love in hindsight, knowing the amount of accountability um, that she put on me. It was fantastic. I worked with it. When I first started the transition partners, it was just Sandra and Emma who were still there. Today yeah, I was going to say, why don't we, why, why don't you describe like what, what transition partners look like? Because I think that can help with context on the journey that you've been. But like just, yeah. just really quickly, like why, why did you, why did you choose transition partners and, and that environment? Because that surely must have felt really quite daunting if you're joining two people in an office and then yeah, yeah. three of you Why oh you my god it was so daunting it was so scary back then yeah so I had a couple of I think I interviewed in two days I interviewed with five agencies I've got four offers one of the off uh what the one I didn't get an offer with they basically their response was um this isn't the sort of office where we wear navy suits they said um there's not our lads don't have football style haircuts and I didn't understand for ages. I don't think, God, what the hell are they on about? I'm a 24-year-old woman. Like, it's got absolutely nothing to do with And I think that translated as, like, they they were looking for pe- probably people a little bit more vanilla, whereas I'm definitely, like, a mint chop chip kind of girl. Do you know what I mean? I, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about personality and making relationships with people. When, and, and for me, it definitely would have never been right. It was working in accounting um, recruitment, actually, finance recruitment. Um and then the, the four other offers I had, I liked, they were actually all bigger businesses apart from Transition Partners, which was the smallest. So Sandra had started the business like two years before, and she was a really successful recruiter um, for about 10 years before that. And um, she worked for some amazing brands, really good clients. Emma um, helped resource all the roles. So it was just the two of them in a, in a small office um, right in the centre of Leeds. And for me, I could just tell there was like a bit of opportunity, like there was a bit of a spark. I love the fact that I'll be working with like two other strong women. Um, it was relatable and they were doing, I mean, even membership, like Sandra sat there with a pair of Chanel earrings and I thought, oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I could have a bit of this. So I thought that was all that time, all that time ago. But I remember just thinking tech was probably the, out of all the industries I'd interviewed with, which were like FMCG and um, finance tech was probably the one I knew least about and that came as soon as I accepted the offer it became pretty apparent actually because I couldn't even like turn computers on I had like no idea yeah like honestly it was a it was a hell of a shock to the system but um I think it was about the people and I knew that I could just spot like an opportunity I knew that this company had a lot of potential and um, it had the groundings of a really good business and I thought why not join something where you're number three rather than number 53 and be another yeah. recruiter. Yeah. Fair enough. But with that comes more accountability, potentially responsibility, those things which it seems like you've grasped. Yeah. So I guess what what was I, I always like asking this, like what what was the best piece of advice Sandra gave you or Emma gave you in that first year, do you think? Oh, bloody hell. Don't give up until the roles are filled. That was basically it, really. We Really? We were an absolute dream. Honestly, I still think about it now. Like we were an absolute dream team. I don't know how we did it. How we worked back then is very different to how we work now. And I think that's been a lot, large part of our journey as, as leaders. It's because that we were all so committed to transition partners. But when I say blood, sweat and tears went into that, this business, I am not lying. Like the amount of graft that went in. We used to get into the office. We used to get into the office for half six, quarter to seven in the morning. We didn't leave till nine, ten at night. I didn't have, when I first started, like this is a really good example, I didn't have a car parking space. I just, in Leeds City Centre, it's quite expensive to park in Leeds. So I used to get the train in and out. And then it got to the point where, I kept missing the last train and I'd have to pay for taxis home. And it kept happening all the time. And because I was just working too late, I didn't keep an eye on the time. And then Sandra was like, right, we're going to have to get your car parking space because you're just working too many hours. So we ended up getting hooked up with parking. That made things a little bit easier. But um, I got that pretty quickly, probably within about three months, because it was clear the amount of hours we were putting in. But it and it was brilliant to be a part of and it was really really hard work I think my first grey hair probably came in about three months into recruitment but (laughs) but it was really good and like I learned so much and every role we filled every role we got we filled 
like our conversion rate was impeccable like we all we all believed in everything we were doing and we kind of just grew from there um at that point I I came on with the idea of being a 360 consultant like my biggest skill coming into recruitment was that I was good at sales and was good at working with people but we had so much work on I couldn't we just had to do delivery so I was just doing 180 um for a long time which was great it was a blessing and a curse I think but I learned a lot and it was very candidate led like candidates were at the forefront of everything I was doing I built a really strong network and I built a real good community around me uh, at the time I was specializing in business analysts so more technical business analysts but doing bits in business change and transformation as well um, which is, was like the perfect market for me because they're all like in tech these are the people people in tech so they'd be, they'd okay. be more happy to call me and share their knowledge and tell me about all their other friends in tech and yeah it was really good fun but cut my teeth first year a lot of hard work not a fun experience plenty of times I came home and crying and saying I was going to give up actually I did that a lot I think my first Really? I yeah. yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, it was, I think. Yeah, it's tough. It was. Um, why? Why didn't you quit? Oh, why didn't I quit? Probably because I wanted to prove everyone wrong. Underdog, complete underdog. My, um, I guess from a personal perspective, my background. I I dropped out of school at sixteen to go into beauty. So I had, I left school. All my friends were really successful. They all lived in London, were doing really, really well in like fashion and fintech. And and, and I went traveling and I spent loads of time working in the beauty industry, which was great fun. And I learned a lot and created some really good networking skills, but I didn't really have anything to prove, anything to like show from it. My brother was extremely successful. Um, he'd been to university. He's a retail director of a company down in London. My dad had a successful business and I kind of just thought, you know what, I I need to prove them that I can do really well, even though I dropped out of school. Because when I dropped out of school to go to beauty school, everyone was like, what the hell is she doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think um, from that perspective, everyone everyone had thought I'd made a huge mistake. When I said I was going traveling, what are you doing? Big mistake. Don't do that. You're going to waste a couple of years and waste a load of money. And um, I wanted to prove that I could put the skills and everything I'd learned in into like really bring it to fruition I guess and and, and recruitment gave me an opportunity to do that yeah which was brilliant. just so just really quickly then just on that and then it'd be yeah. good just to get some context on sort of how long you were just delivery then when you transitioned to more 360 management etc mm-hmm. but you, you hear this all the time right like why so why was Ellie able to sort of put the shutters on and, and block those opinions out because a lot of people would have taken on those opinions and not went into beauty and didn't go traveling right so why why i don't know um, i don't know if you're stubborn or you're like no no i am gonna do it. but like why was you able to sort of listen to yourself rather than listen to other people because especially when it comes from family and stuff it's tough mm, yeah i think so actually yeah i guess i went i went against everything i was told to do but i just i don't know yeah maybe I, no one can say no to Ellie. I guess I get my own way quite a lot of the time. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just knew that I wanted to do things at a certain time. And, and 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 actually, for me, that was the right time. So when I came into recruitment at 24, I had some life skills. I'd been to, I'd been places, I'd I'd met people from all over the world. And when it when and that was so important. Like I think there's so many people in like you see recruitment adverts now, and it's like, must have at least a two-one and must be this and X, Y, Z. It's just, to be fair, it's all a load of shit because if you can work with people and you can speak to people, that is more important than anything. And traveling, for example, was a great way of me to be able to network and meet people that that weren't in my, that put me out of my comfort zone, I guess. I come from quite a privileged background, grew up in Cornwall and probably a bit sheltered. And yeah, I mean, for me, it was a huge learning experience. And then when I brought that to recruitment, and I'd lived all over the country by the time I'd gone to recruitment as well. I'd knew places and I knew, um, I guess it, it was weird. When you travel and you can talk to anyone about anything, if you're quite well-traveled mm-hmm. on anywhere. You've got common ground with people. So I think that's a really good way to be able to communicate and build relationships. So things like that have been really, really helpful. It's not your traditional route, but for me, for me, it worked really well. And and I think it's helped helped my success as well. But starting at 24, it meant I didn't have time to piss around. Like I was I was going into recruitment and I was going to take it really seriously. 
which I did. Love that. So, so let's just map this out for people listening then. So just focused on 180 delivery, just because I'm assuming Sandra had the jobs and pulled in the vacancies and then you, you'd you'd fill them or obviously Emma would support and these things, right? Yeah. So like how long did you do just that piece? And then how long did you then, and then when was it when you did sort of more 360 and more involved on business development and delivery? And then when did you actually start the leadership journey? Just for context for me and people listening, then we'll, we'll dig into it. So I think when I was about two months in a transition partner, so I was literally le- learning the basics, right? I was so bad on the computer. Even Sandra had to put me on a touch typing course because I just, I hadn't worked on a computer before. I had no idea. So I just, I spent an hour every lunch doing touch typing and now I'm absolutely with it. But it actually was really helpful for me. Um, but all, all the basics, two months in, someone told me that she was pregnant. Right. Which I had a feeling that she was a woman, a certain age. I think she'd, be having a, she'd probably want a baby soon at some point, I'm sure. And um, so she, yeah, so she was pregnant and now she was pregnant. And I was a bit like, at first I was like, oh, God, what does this mean mean for me? And what does it mean for Emma and the business? But actually, it was a really good opportunity because um, as Sandra went on maternity leave, I had the opportunity to start managing her um, clients and take on some of the key accounts. Me and Emma did an absolute sterling job of like manning the business and growing. We grew the business while Sandra was off, which was incredible. Um, And then when Sandra came back, uh, by that point, I was ready to do business development. So I must have been probably been about a year and a half into recruitment. But even at that point, I didn't really have to do it, which, uh, that, like I said, it's a bit of a blessing and a curse because I wish that someone had been like, right, as much as a cold desk sounds awful, I think for me mm. it would have been quite good because then I would have literally just had to hammer it, whereas I didn't have to do that, which means a lot of my connections have been built after from like long-standing relationships, recommendations, when clients had moved on, so they might have been one of Sandra's accounts initially, but then I made a connection with a specific hiring manager within that business, and then they've moved and brought me with them. So it happened quite organically, um, which means there were like real relationships rather than, I guess, false. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, yeah. so, okay, so that, okay, so about a year, year and a half in, that makes sense. And then, yeah, if you really um, put in the work on the candidates and then you took on some clients of Sandra's, yeah, gro- great platform then to grow clients and accounts and um, so then really quickly then I've got one question around the candidate piece mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when did you when did Eddie then transition into um, a, a manager when did that start happening just for context I think I I think I took an apprentice on with probably within about yeah probably about a year and a half at that point I think I probably took okay. on my first apprentice and that was one hell of a learning journey for me actually out of recruitment that's been the as much as I am a people person it's been yeah one hell of a yeah. Right, so we're going to talk about that. Let me let me ask you this, right? So there (laughs) are there are so recruitment is competitive, but there are so many tech recruiters out there, right? Yeah. So two questions actually. One, how important is it? Do you think now, if you're looking back, clearly you made it work, but like, how important is it for tech recruiters to understand the tech that they recruit for? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me. I'm the best person at finding the people that can do that. But that doesn't mean I'm technical. And you're not asking me. If you want me to fill five um, Java developer roles for you, for example, you're not asking me to write the code. So I personally don't think I need to know how to do it. Some people are more technical, and I think that's great for them. Like, it's diff- everyone's got different angles. For me personally, my strength isn't in the technical piece. It's about finding the people and selling opportunity and creating opportunity for people. So... Not for me, but for others, I think it is valuable. I think maybe um, if you're more of an introvert, your style is a little bit softer, which actually works really well um, in, te- in real tech, technical recruitment, so developers, DevOps, cloud, et cetera. If you are more sort of like there's a softer approach to recruitment, a real um, skilled approach to that, then then it can be a really valuable asset. But for me personally, yeah, it's not it's okay. made it. I and, then the other, and then the other one is just like, like, where do you think most tech recruiters do badly when sourcing tech talent? Where do you think most tech recruiters go wrong? I think people assume that people are always looking for work and they're not. <laughs> like, the biggest, I think the most common mistake in everyone in recruitment 
And I think actually it's, it's, it's not often a lot of people's fault. It's, it's the pressure that managers put behind them. You said people always assume people are looking and they're candidates already, but they're not. They're people. And they might not be looking right now, but they're looking, they might be looking in a year, they might be looking in a couple of years. But if you're in it for the long game, which I am and I was, then it's about building them relationships. And when those people are ready, they'll always come back to you. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's a really, really, really important piece. What was your question again? I went off, off piece a bit. No, 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 no. The question was, you've answered it. The question was like, where do you think most tech recruiters go wrong or yeah. do, um, do badly when sourcing tech talent? And you said, yeah, always assuming that they're open to, to work. I think so. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that's always the case. Yeah, and they're not. And the way you approach people is the long game, not the short term. So I'm not a transactional recruiter. My experience and my business has been built on reputation. So um, I think that's really important to remember. So what was as you did this as you sort of transition then, and, and we'll talk about Ellie, the the manager. But like, what what was your yeah. biggest? Like you said that obviously you built up a, a, a great platform that in hindsight really helped. But like, what was your biggest challenge with client? development early on because this is an area that is the most popular area that recruiters want to develop in or become better at or think they're sort of weakest in so like what what was your biggest challenge early on do you think access i think gaining access to people in tech well do you know what we're in leeds we are so lucky i mean i started recruitment in leeds and we, we obviously work across europe now and all over the uk as well so but in Leeds, we're really lucky. We've got something very special around the north, around this tech community, and it's really welcoming. Um, gaining access to that market was really important and being welcomed in. And that's something that I've been working on for years, um, particularly with the – I'm really involved in sort of like events, blogs, podcasts, personal branding perspective um, is, is a big piece of my work. But um, – I think being gaining access to that was invaluable. And I did that at quite an early stage. I think I held my first event when I'd probably been for transition partners for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then they've kind of catapulted from there. We run about 30 tech events a year. And it just means I get to meet everyone and anyone. And usually if I meet someone, usually, I mean, I'm good at my job, so they want to work with me. So um, it's... Okay, so let's let's talk about this then. So biggest challenge, access. But what really helped you overcome that and get access was ultimately being the person or being the business that hosted the access mm-hmm. basically right yeah. so you, yeah I, yeah so like you just said ended up actually hosting your first tech event in like a year or so in so let's just talk about this for a sec because i think what you guys do well is 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 definitely the branding piece and events is obviously a huge part of that Thank so you. i think from my perspective i think it's very easy for recruiters to go ah, events being done they've been done people doing right you can't do enough of them i don't think yeah fair so that, <laughs> I love glad them. you said that but i think it'd, it'd be easy because everyone yeah. always wants to know what the next thing is is it podcasts is it videos on linkedin or whatever right everyone wants to know what the next thing is so, mm-hmm. so i'm glad you said that but like if i'm listening right now and i'm someone that's like you know what i've actually really recognized an opportunity that i can give access to my network or I can create the place where people can access each other, blah, blah, blah. Like, where did you, where did you go wrong with these events early on? Why did I go wrong with them? Maybe vetting the people that you, that you have attend, depending on what you were trying to create. I I soon, to be honest, I got my head around them quite quickly. Um, I think if you're just there to create money out of an event, it's really bloody obvious and everyone can see through it. So don't go in it with that goal, but go into it with the idea that you've got to create a community and bring people together. Because if you bring people together and introduce people to people, they'll introduce you to other people and it just, you gain access to a market, that you, the hidden market. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, don't go in with a business agenda but equally start thinking about how you can turn it into opportunities rather than deals so i was getting to the stage this year has been it's turned everything on its head around the event space but yeah last year year before i was probably making about at least i think it was last year 80 grand's worth of my fees came from people that i'd introduced to someone at an event so i tracked it just over 80 grand so yeah i um I basically would invite hiring managers, invite specialists within the field that I knew they were hiring. These people might not be looking for work at the time, or this person might not be hiring right now, but making introductions like that. 
So yeah, and then that's just from a that's just from a billing perspective. But from a BD perspective, yeah, the opportunities have been kind of endless off the back of it. Um, you've got how has it helped client there. development? How has it helped client development? And the relationships that you can build with people, you just getting time with people with with these professionals. I mean, everyone's busy, right? And if you haven't got, if you're not at work, you want to be spending time with your family or friends. But finding something that's a combination of of all of that. So something that tech people are really passionate about what they do. So they're talking about something they love, which is awesome because they're so passionate about it. Talking about something they love, they're in a room full of people with the same, I guess that we're all on the same wavelength and we're mutually, we're all having a great time. There's a few drinks there. We're doing some networking. We're learning about one another. We're creating a community. We've got the same purpose, same goals. And yeah, that's something. There's such a buzz about good events. Like honestly, it's it's the favourite part of my my job. Actually, is 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 the events because the high that you get following an event, you just don't get that sat in the office banging on the phone. But the results are actually much better. Okay. So what so, I want to ask you, yeah, is you've got you've got the attendee list, right? This is when we can meet face to face, and hopefully we can do more of that. But I, I definitely have a question around if I'm listening right now. Like how, what would you say to me if I want to start creating this in the virtual world? Because you've probably gone through these learnings recently. But just just a real quick question, because I, I was definitely rubbish at this at the beginning. Like if you had the attendee list and you're like, right, I really want to try and speak to this person, this person, this person, this person. Yeah. What would be like, what would be for you, what would be the, like, how would you approach that? Like, how would you approach that person? Or like, what would be the opener? Or like, what's your like, go-to advice for your team who's like, right, Ellie, so I know these people want to speak to them. Like, what would your advice be to try and start a conversation with them at this event? Oh, don't go and try and go in technical. I wouldn't do that. I'd definitely go in more personal about, I guess, other events they've been to have they traveled from far what's it like what what brought them to the evening was it the topic was it the speaker have they been to what event before you know just like really it's just a chat it's not we, we have this habit of putting people on pedestals and it's just they're just normal people how many times have you been in a situation where you like get really nervous and I, I, I get it really bad actually because for quite a confident person I'm quite a I guess fake it till you make it kind of girl but um I get a massive warning sign because I get a big rash across my chest and all up my neck. So even though I'm act cool and I'm all right, I'm not all right. I'm panicking and I'm nervous. That anxiety is there. And I still do get nervous before meeting people. But um, yeah, don't put people on a pedestal. They're just normal people like us. Or I might stalk people a bit before they arrive at the event as well and find out like their background, who we've mutually connected, who, how they've come to the event or signed up for the event. I'll do a bit of research. But the amount of time I've spent before, like over the years of having events, like researching people and thinking, yeah, do you know what? This is a real opportunity we've got here tonight, guys. And then they turn up and you just can't spark a conversation with that person or it's just not meant to be. Or they might not talk too much on the first event. You're not entitled to chat to everyone just because they come to your event. But if you put on a really great event, they're not gonna. They're not gonna forget about it. A, they're gonna want to attend again. But B, we gain access the next day because we either ring everyone or email them for feedback, so we can improve our events for the future. So if they've missed an opportunity, which does happen, you can't speak to everyone. And at these events, you're normally running around like crazy anyway. Um, I'll get in touch with them after and find out how they found it and if they'll be coming to another event. Which our, our events have got 100 success rate of people saying yes, I'll be coming back. Okay. So that's really because that allows me to mind a question around that. Like, how important is follow up? You just answered that. <laughs> yeah really important and really it actually important. helped me yeah because um a lot of the time oh god like for some examples like some of the events we're doing at the moment last last week we had a technical one which was all around um devops which i'm not particularly technical but the feedback forms that might then help shape the next event for us these technical people might tell us about what they'd want to learn for next time or next month and and we can create a meetup and we can create a community out there today's event before I've come on here I was literally rushing around because I've um, hosted a lunch a free lunchtime webinar to try and help people who are out of work get back into work at the moment so it was just like an interactive workshop me and a um, an, an exec coach who helps train individuals with interviews and and progressing their careers we worked together to create like an interactive lunchtime session 
help unemployed people and and it seems like that you've got to be able to add value longer term and it and it will pay off for sure and um, but the feedback forms are really great because then they'll help us know what we can do better and yeah, give us ideas from your audience exactly so it's so a final thing on, on these events then mm-hmm. like if i'm listening right now i'm like right i'm convinced need to i need to i need to start an event i, I need to do it. right <laughs> but we can't like you said like for sure yeah i definitely can't do the typical sort of blueprint of like right let's let's identify a topic and and all these types of things let's rent a bar let's get food let's have a few drinks can't do that Mm -hmm. like over the sort of last six eight months where you've had to adapt whatever like what would your advice be to me to take action on this or how how would how do you think i should approach it if i'm listening and i want to start an event What what would you say to me ask your community what they want to learn about what can you facilitate like you are the middleman right that's our job we are the middlemen it's uh, and women and our job to find out what people want to learn about and how we can help set up that so um facilitating that is really important ask your network how many linkedin connections have you got can't just drop a message out and find out what people could they haven't learned about before what have you not seen in a networking event that you'd want to see what can we do as a business to help provide a platform for you to learn and help progress your career um, but just ask your community, ask your clients. I'd definitely try and find a speaker for your first one that's, that spoke at events before, for sure. Like you don't want someone whose first event is, you want someone who's done it in something like that previously. And maybe mitigate risk by creating a panel. And then from a branding perspective, then if you have the opportunity to host that panel, then even better, because like I'm hosting a panel on Thursday and it's all about thriving through menopause, which is a subject that is not like something I'm particularly well informed about. But I've got some amazing women in tech talking about it. And it's all about how employers can help support women um, and families going through the menopause and what we can do better. So um, I think being able to host the events and actually host the panel is even you get you gain media access to to a host of people that you wouldn't normally be able to speak to, which is really cool. Okay, so yeah, remember that. Yeah, you don't have to be the speaker. Find the people that no, um, you don't have to listen to, speak to your audience about identifying a topic, um, and then yeah, even better if you can host the panel discussion. You're just again, you're creating the access. You're creating the the, the place. So for years, thing like I that. didn't host the apps, uh, host the events. By the way, for years I just sat in the corner and like. <laughs> really? I, I used to, well, maybe not quite so much, but I kind of did. I'd do a bit of an intro, hand it over to the guest speaker, and then I'd do a bit of a close at the end. But um, they're not sales. That's a lot of feedback that we get actually from our events, which was probably quite valuable. And um, for your listeners, is that is that a lot of other tech events they go to they're quite salesy, and it's really clear. Like quite often, people will come to our events, and then at the end of the event, they'll go. So what do you guys do then? And for me, that's like the best, like, oh, that's so great. They didn't, I know like most, probably most recruitment agency owners, owners will be fuming, like we've wasted some money. They don't know who we are. But for me, that's good because you don't know who we are. A, you want to ask who we are, which is brilliant. But B, we haven't been selling to you. It's a softly, softly, what do you guys do in tech? And, and, and then we're able to build longer lasting relationships. So that's really good. Okay. Love that. If you're listening right now, hopefully let, let's take some action and, and and get bringing access. Right, that that's I think even I think even more so now from what I can see, people want that. People yeah. want community. People want access. I think I it's become even more normal just to jump on a video call and attend something. Um, so if you're not convinced by sort of the tangent that we just went on here together, I think Ellie's really <laughs> is a living proof that this can work, right? So give, give it a go. And 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 like if, if you are stuck or really want advice, I know you, you'd be keen to help Ellie. So like any, anyone that's listening and wants to take action on this, like do it for sure. Um, so let, let's just talk about then for the rest of the time, let's just talk about Ellie, the director, right? How did that happen? So the great thing about recruitment, right, is it's there's no way that Ellie is getting opportunities like becoming the managing director of this recruitment business unless you're mm-hmm. unless you're delivering unless you're achieving certain outcomes right um so let's talk about this how was Ellie's journey in terms of performance billings what did that look like uh, over the years over the last couple of years yeah I mean it's been it's been a journey isn't it uh, I've, I've always been one of those people, someone sets me a goal, I will overachieve and I'll do everything I can to do that. So I was very accountable, even though I was given roles as a 180 initially, I ran it like it was my own business. Probably. That might have been quite annoying for some just to start with. <laughs> it's like, who's this girl coming in? But I that was really important for me because I guess I've got quite a 
got a bit of entrepreneurial spirit in me and I and I and I wanted to run it like my own. Every responsibility I took on, I was accountable. I'd be doing bits when I was meant to be on annual leave. I'd be taking calls late night and I was working every Sunday afternoon from four o'clock till six o'clock every Sunday. I used to work to find candidates because I wanted to come in on Monday morning with CVs ready to go. Um, I mean, that's a long time ago now. And I think the way that we have to work has changed. It was probably a bit archaic in its approach back then, but things have changed. And I, the proof, I guess, was in the pudding. My, my, my first year, I ended up, I think it was about 140K, which was good. What, yeah. what was your best year? Uh, 340, about 340 on per, yeah, okay. so it's per recruitment. I do a little bit of contract, but not very much. Um, last when did you hit year, 340? That's an amazing achievement. Yeah, um, last year, this year, obviously, it's, it's the first year, actually. I was a bit annoyed. It's, a, it's the first year that I've not grown. Each year, there's been quite big growth, and, and it's the first year. Well, in terms year. of your billings performance, yeah? Yeah, it's right. always gone up. So let's talk about this. Yeah. This is probably one of the most common things where people ask me, want to ask questions like, Ellie, how have you gone from 140, 150K, 100K to the next level of hitting 200K to 300K plus, right? So let, mm-hmm. let me start with this. Let, with this one, I know you said that, <laughs> I know you said like you just make things happen, right? And you're, <laughs> you, you, you'd easily admit that like you're not the best person that like has the best process or whatever, but people always want me to ask, yeah. what, what, what does Ellie's day look like, the 300k plus villa, compared to the 140, 150k villa? Oh God, that's such a good question, isn't it? And yeah, like I said before, I think one of my problems, one of my biggest things that I've heard to work as a leader is explaining the way that I do things. Because I feel, I find that really ch- challenging because I think, you know, I guess quite naturally, I'll always just make opportunities happen and I'll get the end result yeah. I want in my conversation. So I find it really hard. What, what does your um, day look like? like? How do you structure your day now today? Like, I'm sure, because that's probably what you've become better at if, if there's a structure. So today, oh God, today, for example, so I started, um, specced out a few candidates this morning, started at eight o'clock, specced out a few candidates this morning. I had a BD call booked in with a client actually this morning at 8.30, which was the first client I had. Actually, you'll be excited about this session because I was so excited. Someone messaged me saying, what do you recruit in tech? We'd like to work with you, which was so exciting because it's like, it they, yeah, they've come to us, which is awesome. Um, so I had a call this morning. Then I, yes, I had some specking, then a BD meeting, had a catch up with a couple of members of my team about bottlenecks and how they're getting on. Then I had... I interviewed for someone at Transition Partners, actually, which is really exciting. So hopefully hopefully that goes well. Um, then I hosted this event, and then now I've come on your podcast. So in terms of BD time, it's been fairly limited, but the conversations I've had have been, have been the right conversations. Okay. And I think that's probably a really big tip that I think worked well for me is, like, going with my gut. If okay. I, you know you're not going to be able to work with everyone, right? Not everyone's going to like Ellie. I know that, right? I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But the ones that do like me will keep fighting for me. And that's the important thing. So I think it's about building relationships with the right people and knowing when a lead is like, when it's going to be a bit of a dud lead rather than pursuing it and hoping yeah. and wasting your energy, your time. And ultimately, it's going to end in disappointment. Okay. So, like, gonna- so, so, not, so, so, okay. So, like, any like, <laughs> let me ask it this way so like because so, i think it's interesting right because some people may go right so maybe initially first two hours of my day always this next hour always this blah 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 right so i guess what people are interested in Ellie, is like what daily must do's have changed that you think has impacted performance increasing performance i spend a lot of time on my network so i spend a lot of time on social media and i think a lot of people i think for me it's one of those things. I see it on LinkedIn. I see all these all these eight marketing agencies that say, do this for LinkedIn to be successful and do this to grow your direct business and blah, blah, blah. And you think, bloody hell, does that even really happen to anyone? And a couple of months ago, I felt exactly the same. But I do it because I love doing it. And it's helping me build a brand. So by investing in myself, for example, just silly, silly little things that... Um, I am originally from Cornwall and I was, was watching a TV program on Sunday night, Simon Reeve one about why Cornwall is struggling to help 
youth employment, but there's no careers for people in Cornwall, right? It's all holiday makers. And once summer trade goes, there's nothing for people to do. So I put a couple of tweets out saying that I wanted to do something to support the Cornish community. And like, can I get involved in some um, tech events down there and do some speaking to help inspire the next generation? I ended up actually emailing my old comprehensive school to ask if me and my friend who works in tech can come in and do um and do a talk with them so that's getting organized at the moment which is going to be good fun but i end up posting about it on twitter blah 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 next thing i know someone from a startup in cornwall seen it and they want to have a chat with me about recruitment yeah, and it's okay. the stuff like that now that you can if you if you play it right and you do it sincerely which 100 i wasn't doing that post with business development i was doing it because i care about people having the right opportunity and and the amount of knowledge and that I've gained as a recruiter, and there's so many things now that I think, God, I wish I'd have known that when I was younger, particularly in tech. Like there's some really cool stuff going on and there's so much opportunity for people and they just need to know about the opportunities that are available to them. So it's my job to inform people of that and help them with that. Um, and I take that job pretty seriously, actually. So um, mm. I think it came from a sincere place, but opportunity came off the back of it, which is win-win so, so, so daily must do is, has been really investing in your network building your brand okay yeah let, let me ask you this anelli you said you're someone that you was a you was a bit guy that you didn't you've always had sort of year on year growth in these things oh this as, year no no as in like so the question is like yeah. as um uh, a top biller a high performing biller what have you done yourself to motivate yourself to keep pushing and breaking records I think my team more that now more than ever. So my team itself makes me competitive, which I love. Really? I, yeah. Do you know what? I've never had a team quite like my guys right now, right? They'll probably be listening to this and they are really, really cool and they're really bloody good. And I've been top top biller for years at Transition Partners. Sandra doesn't build directly. So, I mean, she's a great recruiter, but I wore that crown for a while, loved it. This year, it got ripped off me by my girl, Sarah, in Germany, which I was stoked about. Like, I'm so happy that my team are, like, really making waves and, and that pushes me so much. That motivates you. Love that. So much. Like, honestly, me and Sandra are a bit competitive as well. Like, we'll, we're a great team. Like, we'll do BD together <laughs> all the time, like, a little bit, like, work on people together. And then, um, and that worked really, really well. But my team itself, by knowing about, God, they're doing this and they're having these conversations. They bought on 10 rolls yesterday. I'm like, bloody hell, I better get and do some business development myself. That's not showing me up. So yeah, right now, my team motivate me. Um, the wider business, yeah, we, we've got some really exciting things going on and it, it, it's brilliant to be a part of it. Okay. So yeah, so the, okay, that's interesting that your teams end up being the motivation. So Right. So before we finish this, let, let's talk a bit about leadership and, and maybe how you've um, had to sort of adapt your approach during um, the difficult um, period of the last few months and all that. But like really quickly, so I um, I saw this advice come through from one of the mentoring sessions, recruitment mentors the other day, and I, I thought yeah. it was really good advice. So when I said that people um, people's aspirations in their recruitment careers to become a director, right? So I want to ask you this mm-hmm. question and it'd be interesting to see if this is relatable, something you did or whatever. Yeah. But this, this tip and advice that came through was how important it is, if you really want to get to that director level or head of or whatever the title is, that it's really important that you sit down with the person above you, the owner of the business, whoever it is above you that can help you get there or makes a decision or whatever, how important it is to sit down with that person and actually map out and understand and agree together what you need to do to get there yeah right how many people actually sit down with let's say sandra if they're in the same position as you and go right so if i achieve this in the next 90 days will you give me another apprentice if i achieve this in the following 90 days will you then give me let's have a conversation about getting shareholders in the business whatever it may be right so like how what have you done or how have you approached getting those opportunities you clearly recognized with your gut there's an opportunity in this business to be more than just an employee you're number yeah. three and, and more that right which is part of it circumstances environment but you've given yourself that opportunity to like i guess have you did you do any of that or like how did you make sure that you was that person that got opportunities to own part of this business or get that director status i think i made myself transition partners quite quickly so I literally really embedded myself in the business and put my I I was 
the foundations of TP and I'm there. I might not have been there in year one, but I'm there 100%. So I've made myself kind of, I guess, invaluable to the business. Um, I didn't sit down and go, what do I need to do? What do I, I, I don't remember like having conversations like that, but I naturally, I guess you probably can't do it. If you're from a bigger business, if you're yeah. from a bigger agency, you would need to do that, right? It's quite easy to get overlooked. Um, and I'm sure probably a lot of bigger agencies, well, the next step for you would be management. But that's not always the right step for everyone. I think you just need to make yourself really invaluable. invaluable. You need to be like, you need to be seen. You need to become that business. And, and when you do start from working for a smaller consultancy, that is definitely easier. The opportunities that we have transition partners, even hiring now, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and the tech recruiter that we were interviewing. And I was saying to him, there's not many businesses where every time you're kind of we hire someone, we see it as a bit of a new opportunity. And although we're not kind of sat back glaring as in like we've done this and we've done that before and we've got this experience and we've had this success and we're actually like we're here to learn from one another and and, and we open, I guess people are welcome with open arms and that they come in and make a real difference if you don't get that opportunity, then you can go somewhere else because there's plenty of opportunity, plenty of companies over there who need really skilled people who can add value. And to, if people aren't investing you in your recruitment, then more for them because it's so silly. Because I don't know why you wouldn't. You can, I mean, you could start your own business tomorrow if you wanted, but there should be opportunities laid out there for you because if you're successful, then that is the business. Our business is people, and if our people are progressing, we're progressing. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be supporting them and looking after them to enable them to do the best job that they can do so did I sit there and do a full business plan no but did I barge my way in and give her no choice but to make me a director probably yeah like yeah no I think that's the advice like it's, it's what you said <laughs> earlier it came pretty quite natural to you treated it like it was your own business and you made yourself indispensable that that's what you've done and when you do that and truly do that you're going to give yourself opportunities right so i think that that's that's the lesson there and that's what how people should approach it particularly yeah. in all environments I, I was in an agency of that size and, and you could you could definitely grab that with two hands if you really wanted it if you really wanted to become indispensable with this company and, and take those opportunities then yeah it's it's exactly that um so before i ask you the final five questions then Mm-hmm. Um, let's just talk about um, really quickly, like Ellie, the leader. Then, like, what what's been what's been your biggest challenge with leadership recently as a whole? You said obviously communicating how you do things or what works for you, whatever. Sometimes to the team, but like in terms of one of the, some of the common questions that I get Ellie from people is like, as a manager, how can I help recruiters that can't see the light at the end of the tunnel or can't sort of um, sometimes lack self-belief but you know that they 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 have what it takes but sometimes they can just sort of get that lack of self-belief how do you help people get over that how do you um get the most out of your team all these typical things always come through from um managers and want to know how people approach this so i guess what what things have you found difficult in in leadership i guess a couple of things like for me probably one of my biggest strengths is building confidence in people whether it be my candidates about to attend an interview, my clients who are about to, I don't know, potentially apply for the next job opportunity within their company or or my staff and my team. I think I'm really good at helping people push the boundaries and stretch themselves in a great way and build their confidence, um, which has been really good. But for me, management didn't come naturally. Leadership didn't come naturally. And actually, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it for a long time, if I'm honest with you. I don't. I fell into it because I had to do it because the business grew. But realistically, if I worked for a bigger company, then I never would have, I wouldn't have managed for a few more years and I would have just carried on billing. And I probably would have made more money if I had done that, to be honest. So I think kidding yourself that management is the only next step is a silly thing to do. And I, and I definitely, if you're in that position now where you're thinking, actually, I'm not really enjoying it, then, then try and find another opportunity. Do you really need to be doing that? Does that mean that you're successful by taking that next step or not. I think um, a lot of people think they need to and they don't. Um, but now I really love it. So it's taken me a long time. I, I I managed before in my old job. I used to have a team of like 20 girls back in Harvey Nicks and I hated it then. Didn't like it when I went into it at Transition Partners, but I just had to do it. But over the well, past few years... Yeah, what's changed? Um, I guess maybe me as a leader, I've taken I've this past 12 months I've really chilled out a lot 
Um, I'm quite a highly strong individual. I move 100 miles an hour, and my expectations of people were the same. Of, I treated everyone like, like, why aren't you doing what Ellie would do? Like, you hear that yeah. a lot. I treated everyone like they were me or Sandra, and they're not. Like, everyone's individuals, and they've all got different strengths, which is, thank God we're not all the same. Otherwise, our office would be bloody crazy. But um, I think I got, got to grips with that, about learning people's strengths and weaknesses and giving people time. But... Also, I kind of took a little bit of pressure off myself because I'd always just put so much pressure on myself to bill and still make money and bill clients and stuff. But but now I do actually enjoy the success. Like, actually, for me, if I make a placement, yeah, cool, good. I've got someone a new job. That's great. But actually, I love it when my guys make placements. Like, I get so excited about them billing and new, new terms. I just go like, yeah, absolutely nutty about it because it just gets me so excited because I remember when it was like my first client or do you know what I mean? Like they're doing some really great things. Um, we've definitely got a really strong team actually. And I think for now, this year has been awful and it? it's just been such a mm. shitty year for everyone. And and I've had a couple of like personal things that have gone on that have, that have, that have taken me, knocked me back really. And um, I think, that from a leadership perspective, I've been a lot more vulnerable about that. Whereas before mm. I probably wouldn't have been like, I'm a very open person. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's done me a good stead as a leader, actually. I love that. So advice yeah. for new billing managers then. Do you be? really want to be a manager? <laughs> yes, that's the first thing. That's, and that's a fair question. Like, don't think that's yeah. the only step. Like, do you actually yeah. want to become a manager or have you, has it been forced upon you? But like, if I'm yeah. someone that does see myself as a leader or a billing manager, a billing leader, like, and I'm on that trajectory, what, what would your advice be to me? What I did for a long time, actually, that I think, I've hindsight now, if I was to tell myself what don't do, don't answer everyone's questions all the time because they're going to keep asking you questions forever. So what I try and do now is just constantly ask them, what do you think is the best solution for that? Like they'll come to you with bottlenecks all the time. It's going to happen. And most of the time they do know themselves. But I think by turning it round on them, by making them accountable for the situation and coming up solving problems, then it's going to help you so much long term rather than them constantly needing support and needing help. So I think definitely push it around on other people and ask for their ideas. And then what I'll do usually is I'll come up with a solution and then I'll just like sprinkle a bit of glitter on it and just say, why don't we try this to do like, you know, something a little bit different. Give them the credit. Like it hasn't all come. Yeah. No, it's not come from me at all. I'm just, I'm just helping. So a is that, bit. That's a really good, really practical go-to question, isn't it? So the question was, what do you say? What solutions do you think we could have for this? What do yeah, you say? Yeah. So I turn it around straight on them. If they if they ask me a question, I'll just literally turn it around on them. Well, what do you think would be the best thing, best course of action? What should we do today on this? And yeah, so just put it straight back on them, listen. And then if there's an opportunity to sprinkle some glitter on it that may give them an opportunity to like do well, then it's they've they've come up to that conclusion themselves rather than you go and do this. Yeah, because most of the time it is something really obvious, isn't it? But like I even do it now. Sometimes I just want someone to go, Yeah, Ali, you're doing the right thing. Like the amount of times I'll be doing a, an important email and I'll send it to Sandra or she'll send me an email to check and we just want to we want to do the best best job we can and sometimes you just need someone a bit of reassurance and that's what management is most of the time is giving mm. someone an opportunity a platform to do something amazing but then reassuring them and supporting them from the sidelines okay that's, that's what we should be doing so got a final question because I, I definitely wanted to ask um, yeah. you this before I ask you the sort of five quick fire questions mm-hmm. um like and because I see you guys do a lot of this in in the tech world, like how how do you think we can move the needle on creating more female role models in recruitment? It's hard for me because I work in a business that's eighty percent female, so I uh, yeah I don't really see this being a problem in my business. But um, if not, even ours, we actually want more boys. <laughs> but um, I do a lot of initiatives within women in tech. Um, and I think it's about exploring opportunities and I guess it's just using the same the same principles and applying it to recruitment, telling people about the opportunities. If I speak to young people and they don't know what they want to do and I think they've got the right characteristics to make them a good recruiter, I will tell them that they should give recruitment a go because what's six months, eight months in recruitment? It could completely change their life and it did mine. But the impact that it's had on opportunities available to me, networking financially, I would not have had that opportunity. I, I mean, I left school, I can't even tell you what GCSEs I've got. 
there is no way that I could have done as well as I have in any other industry. So I like to shout about it and tell people how cool it is. And I'm actually tonight, this is exciting. My uh, 18-year-old cousin's ringing me up because she's got an interview for her job in recruitment down south. So I'm like super oh, excited. Yeah, I've actually told her to listen to your podcast, actually. I was like, yes. <laughs> so, so basically the advice is tell more people about it. Like if, you, if you're if you someone that thinks, you know what, they could be great in recruitment, like tell more people tell about it. it. Like, yeah. yeah. You don't always have to be a certain type of person. I've seen different types of people, different personality traits be really successful in recruitment. So there isn't like a one size fits all for what makes a good recruiter. So tell people about the opportunities that are on the recruitment. It's all a bit, I mean, like you say, a lot of people said to you about rec to rex and it's all a bit cloak and dagger, isn't it? When you first go into it, you've got no idea what it's all about. But I think by talking about it and um, by talking about all the amazing opportunities and life-changing events that, that recruitment can have for you and the confidence. I mean, the confidence that recruitment can give you. I don't think there's many other industries like it. I, I mean, we've got some people in our business and when they first started now, we've just seen them blossom into completely different people. And it's it's really cool to see. So I think if you can, you, if, if you love recruitment and it's made an impact in, in your life and you think someone would be good at it, definitely tell them about how great it is. Encourage people to get into it. It's an awesome industry. Mm, love that so i've got five questions for you okay oh god okay <laughs> first one is if you could change the industry what would you improve god there's so many things isn't there about recruitment that people don't like and what would i improve um more around unconscious bias for me is a big thing from a recruiter perspective I think recruiters do it. I think hiring managers do it. I think recruiters do it when they're recruiting recruiters. And it just, yeah, I, I don't like it at all. It needs to be more education around it. And we need to do a better job of, of being unconscious with anyone and everyone. Interesting. What what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? I'm really not a reader. I listen to podcasts. I like all your, your podcasts have helped me honestly I'm not even joking Michelle, I've been like a day one fan everyone who writes the TP they all listen to your podcast because I I, I genuinely think that some of the stories that I've that I've heard have really helped inspire me and like but you know when you I mean sometimes recruitment's bloody horrible and I think by listening to other people and being able to relate to that you cannot that I mean that's why I love doing my podcast now because people say that how much it makes a difference to them and I think yeah by listening and some of the stories that you've had have been really impressive they've certainly helped me when i've been going through like shit storm of a week do you know what i mean it's uh oh, thank you appreciate that all right well, okay, let me, <laughs> all right let me ask you this. so the next one is um if you could write a linkedin post that could be seen by every single recruitment consultant across the world what would you want it to say oh my god I meant to say something like inspirational here or something that like whatever whatever comes up for you like if you could communicate to every single recruitment professional out there and they'd see it they'd read it they'd listen to Ellie what would you want it to say oh my god I think being original and being true to yourself is more important than anything and I am definitely that on my LinkedIn if anything I overshare but I think like being being true to yourself as a recruiter and have I think ethics business ethics is so important and doing the right thing is everything to me by by my clients by my candidates and um yeah be true to yourself just because your manager wants one thing if that's not you don't do it don't you don't need to to be true to yourself Um, and who you are and you'll be great at recruitment next one Mm -hmm. what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on it would have been a holiday. I love a holiday. Yeah, I got my yeah. Bougie one. Oh, do you know what? I've had loads of bougie ones. I've even <laughs> now where I'm like, I've sent my mum and dad on holiday, and I've sent my chap's mum and dad on holiday, and and that's actually nicer than well, actually, it's not as nice to go away, but it's really nice to be able to do that. Do you know okay, what I mean? Like things like that to me. I, I, um, yeah, I'd much rather go on holiday than buy. I'm not, I'm not particularly flashy. I'm very Yorkshire for someone who's moved up north. I'm very Yorkshire. Like, I'm pretty tight. So I'm just always saying how tight I am, actually. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> right, fi- fi- final one, Ellie. Final one is, um, what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career? Oh, 
I want to take TP to the next bloody level. Like, I already think I love my business. Like, we've got the coolest people in there. They're doing some amazing things. We, the sky is the limit. It's like, honestly, if we could get more people like we've got, there's no reason that we can't take over the world with recruitment. We've got something very special bottled up. And um, to be able to put that out in the net into the community would be amazing. Grow the business. Yeah, I love what, keep doing what I do and love what I do. Like, that's really important for me. I'm happy. I love helping people and, and, and being able to do that. Yeah, I'd love to keep doing that. I'd love to do more public speaking, keep the podcast going, keep the events, all the fun stuff, and let's just grow on it and think of new ideas, be creative, innovative within our field, and, yeah, enjoy what we're doing, take it to the next level. Why not? Take over the world. Yeah, America, watch out. You know, we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And it's been an absolute pleasure. I think you've been on a wicked journey and um, it's been awesome having you on the pod. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I've loved it. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.